Zags, Bruins, Sweet 16, Mick Cronin, Mark Few. Huge game once again. We're crossing it up. Let's get into it. You are locked on UCLA, your daily podcast on the UCLA Bruins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags and Locked On UCLA podcast. It is a crossover episode previewing a huge game between Gonzaga and UCLA. I'm Andy Patton, the host of Locked On Zags podcast. He's Zachary Anderson Yoxheimer, the host of the Locked On UCLA podcast. We're talking all things Gonzaga Bulldogs, UCLA Bruins today. Today's episode is brought to you by the Locked On or by FanDuel Sportsbook, excuse me, the official sportsbook of the Locked On Podcast Network. Make every moment more. Visit fanduel.com slash locked on today to get started. Like I said, we're talking all things Gonzaga UCLA today. We're going to close out the show talking about the history of this matchup and kind of the the, the Adam Morrison of it all, the Jalen Suggs of it all, of course, uh, and, and kind of what it might mean for these teams going forward. But first, uh, I'm going to talk to Zach about this matchup, what it kind of means for UCLA. We'll kind of switch the flip the script words are hard we'll try that again in the second <laughs> segment but for right now Zach I kind of just want to talk about about how UCLA got here because you kind of look at the regular season and they dominated the Pac-12 which Pac-12 wasn't great this year there's no no other way to put it there but they I think they won by three games four games in the regular four games season. yeah four games in the regular season that for a power conference that's just ludicrous I thought they deserved to get a one seed. Uh, the Jalen Clark injury, I think, had an impact, unfortunately, on the committee's minds and maybe kind of pushed them down to that two seed. Of course, Purdue got the one seed. Didn't go great for them in that situation. I want to talk to you about starting with the Clark injury because this is a guy who was the Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year, who is a finalist for the Naismith Player Defensive Player of the Year, averaged 13-6 and six for the Bruins, like a, a really big piece, and yet doesn't seem like they have really slowed down all that much since losing him to an injury. I think the biggest thing is team-wide, the defensive intensity has been just picked up. And yeah. because Clark is, you know, individually so great, right? It's tough to make up what he loses, but offensively it's been picked up, which we'll mm -hmm. probably touch on, but Amari yeah. Bailey has stepped it up offensively. Mm -hmm. And then defensively, Hawkins can do it all. Bona can help with the blocks. Yeah. Everybody has got that built-in hustle bone, deflection bone intensity. And if you're new to that, Mick Cronin has a deflection bone as a reward to incentivize the Bruins' defensive intensity. So even if Jalen Clark's not there, the difference between defense is a lot individually, but it's mm -hmm. going to show a little bit more the deeper we get in the tournament. And this might be the first game it shows. We saw the injury as well to David Singleton, which looked very bad on the broadcast. Uh, Brennan Haywood, the announcer, was basically pleading with the crew to not show a replay of it. Uh, but all indications as of right now, as we're recording this year on Wednesday morning, are that he seems okay. Is that what you've been seeing or kind of hearing about his status for the game? And also, uh, how important is he for a matchup against Gonzaga? First, I've seen after the game, I think UCLA's beat reporter, Ben Bolch, he tweeted out, looks like he's walking around just fine. I saw other tweets yesterday mm -hmm. from across Twitter that uh, mm -hmm. he was walking on the bus just fine. Yes. Like He was literally walking from the locker room to the bus. So he's going to play. Whether mm -hmm. he's kind of hiding it behind a, a, sure. a tough premise, he, he's going to play. How effective he is, who knows? In terms of what he needs to do. Well, this is going to be a high-scoring game or a higher-scoring mm -hmm. game than, than we probably think. 
especially mm-hmm. for UCLA, you're going to have to hit some threes, and Singleton's going to need to hit three or four, not go one for five. He needs to have a three or four three-point shooting game in order to help the Bruins keep up with the Zags offensively. Well, let's talk a little bit about, about that matchup specifically, uh, starting with kind of the, the defensive side for UCLA, because it, it's, it starts with Drew Timmy. Uh, Gonzaga's offense has been filtered through Drew Timmy to a borderline unhealthy uh, degree at some times this season. I think we've seen Gonzaga in the last month or so start to figure out ways to work inside out with their offense and utilize players like Julian Strother and Rasir Bolton and Malachi Smith a little bit more. But by and large, Gonzaga's offense runs through Drew Timmy. And if he's off, the team is off. Now, Drew Timmy has played against Mick Cronin UCLA squads a handful of times already. He has put up productive numbers against them, as he has done against most of the teams that he has faced. Looking at this roster, obviously, Adembona seemingly no longer bothered by the shoulder, I think, is a huge factor for UCLA because he seems to be their, their enforcer down low. But do you think, how do you think that, that UCLA might attack Drew here? Is this a situation of trying to shut everybody else down? Are they going to swarm him with double teams, try to prevent him from getting the basketball? Like We've seen a lot of different strategies and, and not a lot that have worked, although there are definitely ways to beat Gonzaga, whether it involves Drew Timmy or not. I mean, the biggest thing is UCLA got to play Arizona. And while mm-hmm. Gonzaga isn't necessarily Arizona, Arizona mm-hmm. had two bigs. They had yeah. Balo, they mm-hmm. had Tabellis, they had a three-point shooter. It seems like the Zags had a little more depth in terms of mm-hmm. perimeter shooting. But there's not really anybody like Timmy. Tabellis yeah. has a different skill set. Mm-hmm. Balo has a different skill set. And some seem to have the comparison of Hawkeyes versus Timmy. Just the size is the only difference. So mm-hmm. I think the biggest difference is the Bruins have already dealt with size and lost yeah. to size. And Cronin's seen Timmy. I think the difference in this one from two years ago in the Final Four is I think they have a little bit more size, mm-hmm. at least with Bona's athleticism, and they'll just attack with Nuba, Bona, Etienne, and I think they'll just throw the kitchen sink at them and mm-hmm. try to find themselves multiple guys. The big thing is can they stay out of foul trouble? Can Bona stay out of foul yeah. trouble? The longer he's on the floor, I think it might be a little tougher for Timmy. Not that he won't be successful, but mm-hmm. the fact that they can slow him down and yeah. stop him from crashing the boards will be important. Definitely. And, and I think with with Timmy, he, he's really good at exploiting younger players to get foul trouble. And I think that's going to be because Bona's going to be one of the best young bigs that he has faced all season long. And so it'll be interesting to see if he's able to, to kind of work that magic and get some of that foul issues, because that's going to put Cronin and the team in, in a bit of a tough position. I want to switch over and talk a little bit on the other side of the ball here. Gonzaga, not a good defensive team. That has been the biggest knock on them throughout the season. I think their their overall Ken Palm ranking defensively is a tiny bit misleading in the sense that they have been a much better defensive team over the past six weeks or so than they were earlier in the season. Having said that, they don't have a Chet Holmgren. You know, they don't have a rim protector to help clean up some of the mistakes they make in the pick and roll game. Drew Timmy's notoriously not great on pick and roll defense. He has improved significantly in that area. But you look at UCLA, look at their offense. To me, it seems like an offense that that relies heavily on getting to the rim, uh, dribble penetration. Amari Bailey, very good at that. Like you mentioned, Jaime Hawkes, of course, just a, a very multifaceted scorer in a lot of ways. It seems like a, a game that kind of matches up well with UCLA in terms of how they like to score. Is that kind of how, the sense that you're getting looking at Gonzaga's defense and how this might shake out? I mean, if you look at the numbers between Gonzaga and Arizona, they seem su- somewhat similar defensively, right? They score a lot of points. They give up a lot of points. But when UCLA played Arizona, the game they won, it was mm-hmm. high scoring. The games they lost were low scoring, yes. like UCLA likes it, both in the Pac-12 tournament 
and way back, I believe, in January. So mm-hmm. if Gonzaga can stop UCLA from getting out in transition, I know the Zags are one of the better teams in the country mm-hmm. in transition. If defensively they stop UCLA from, one, forcing turnovers and scoring 22 fast break points like they did against Northwestern, right. then maybe they could clog the paint. If Bone is struggling, mm-hmm. if Hawkins struggles with the size of Timmy potentially, that could be one thing. But mm-hmm. I think it comes down to UCLA spacing the floor with Singleton and Campbell, which opens up the lane for Bailey or for Bona or Hawkes to make those moves. And it just depends on how many turnovers lead to easy points for UCLA. Because they need a lot of easy points. If they don't get easy points, yeah. they certainly won't be an easy offensive game for them, even with the Zags' lackluster defense. Well, it is Zachary's turn to ask questions. We're going to pivot to the second segment, have him talk to me a little bit more about the Zags after a word from today's sponsor, FanDuel. The NCAA tournament is here, and now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sports book, because new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. So just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It is safe, secure, and super easy to use. Then you can bet on everything from the money line to point scores and threes drained. Right now, the FanDuel line on this game is two and a half for UCLA, perhaps Zach or I will talk you into betting on that line there. Uh, You can also make combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same game parlay. So don't miss the chance to get your no sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash locked on. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Well, welcome back to this crossover between Locked On UCLA and Locked On Zags. I guess it's my turn to start asking Andy some questions so he can spread the wealth of knowledge. Do you think UCLA's defense is good enough to stop the Zags offense in your mind? Is it that potent or is it kind of misleading with the numbers considering the teams the Zags have faced in the WCC and taken over during the NCAA tournament? Yeah, I think... You know, you, you look at Gonzaga's non-conference schedule and they had some really, really dominant offensive performances against teams that uh, I, I would compare to UCLA. I mean, they scored 100 points on Alabama, a team that certainly uh, picked up the slack defensively after that. Like they were, they, they did not play particularly great defensively in that game in particular. Gonzaga did struggle, struggle to score against uh, Baylor. They struggled to score against Michigan State, although I think you kind of throw that whole game out since it was played on an aircraft carrier. I don't think the offensive performances in those games really matter. Um, but you know, we, we've seen we've seen Gonzaga play really well offensively against teams that weren't just teams in the WCC. But UCLA does have more athleticism. They have more weapons, and I think that they're extremely well coached on the defensive end of the floor. That's Mick Cronin's specialty. There's a reason this team has been to the Sweet 16 three years in a row. They they do a good job down there. I think. Drew Timmy is basically inevitable in the sense that he's going to get 18 to 20 to maybe 26, 28 per game, just almost regardless of how you defend him. That's just how good that he is. But if you can force him to make four or five turnovers, making bad passes, uh, Gonzaga's out perimeter shooting is questionable at best. At times, it can be a huge weapon for them when Bolton is hitting, when Strother's hitting, when Malachi Smith is hitting. Uh, And at that point, the defense, it's really difficult because you have to pay attention to the shooters, but then you're giving Drew Timmy more room to operate. And when he has room to operate, he's pretty much a walking bucket. So uh, I think UCLA absolutely has the capability of defending Gonzaga better than most of the teams that they have played. But it also depends on which version of Gonzaga's offense, specifically players not named Drew Timmy, show up. And then speaking of Gonzaga's defense, as we flip sides of the court, Anton Watson, if I'm saying that mm-hmm. correct, you know, he, he's Anton, not exactly yeah. Anton, Anton mm-hmm. Watson. 
Um, you know, he, between Jalen Clark and him, they're mm-hmm. in the top 30 in steals, and Jalen Clark's mm-hmm. been well up there for a while. I kind of noticed Watson's numbers and realized, hey, this is almost a, a mm-hmm. mini Clark in terms of mm-hmm. defensive efficiency. I know Timmy gets the blocks down on the mm-hmm. paint a bit, but Watson, 66 steals. Mm-hmm. Well, what do you think about his potential individual defensive stand that can make a difference in this game? Mark Few has called Anton Watson the MVP of this team on multiple occasions and has said that the other players on the team kind of agree with that. And I think, you know, MVP is a bit, it's hard to, to say that when you're talking about Drew Timmy and the National Player of the Year candidate, but Anton Watson is certainly more rounded in terms of being able to contribute offensively and defensively. Drew, not a great defensive player. The pick and roll defense is suspect and he is kind of the de facto rim protector on the team, but it's not a huge strength of his either. Uh, Watson has some of the most active hands in the country. He is elite at poking the ball away, elite at getting steals. Uh, his perimeter defense is, I mean, he's been an elite perimeter defender since he was a freshman and he's finally kind of started to emerge as more of an offensive threat this year. Uh, but prior to this, he was kind of just a defensive enforcer and that was the role that he filled for three seasons. Uh, local kid from Spokane high school, Gonzaga prep, like kind of a, a beloved figure for the Zags. And I think, He's going to have a huge impact in this game. He's 6'8", he's a 230, 235, something like that. He's a big-bodied guy, really physical, really, really strong. Uh, And I think he's going to make a really big impact on this game defensively. I suspect that he will be in charge of guarding Jaime Jaquez. Uh, Not an easy task by any stretch of the imagination, but Watson was tasked with guarding Oscar Shibway, uh, and he handled that pretty well in the the, non-conference schedule. So I, I think we've seen him kind of take on high level defensive tasks previously and he has the defensive chops to do it if it slows him down offensively that is okay uh quite honestly if you told me that anton watson scored four points in this game but he held Hawkes to one of his worst shooting games of the tournament or of the season i'm going to take that in the heartbeat because that's more of what i need what the zags need from him in this game and i think he's more than capable of of being a huge defensive nuisance uh for the for the bruins yeah, because as much as we talk about the Zags' lackluster defense, they do have a what we could say is a mini Jalen Clark, almost a pretty good Jalen Clark. Mm-hmm. Just Clark got all the recognition being the power conference. Yeah. We already mentioned Nace, Nace Smith, Defensive Player of the Year finalist, all mm-hmm. that. But, you know, it could be interesting. What's one key statistic you think Gonzaga needs to, to win to win this game? That's a really good question. I think they need to win on the boards. I think that's a big part, too. Uh, certainly... We, UCLA is, is a good rebounding team, but they don't have a ton of size. Of course, Jalen Clark was their second leading rebounder before he got hurt. Uh, Hawkes is a, is a great rebounder. I think he's six seven, so he's not huge. He's a tenacious rebounder, very good at going after the basketball. But I think rebounding is definitely going to be a factor here. Can and it'll it'll be interesting to see how Gonzaga approaches offensive rebounds do they attempt to get to clean up on the offensive glass and get second chance points at the risk of allowing ucla to potentially get out in transition we have seen gonzaga kind of alter their strategies here sometimes i remember specifically they played xavier earlier this year in the phil Knight invitational tournament and they were really really aggressive at trying to go get offensive rebounds instead of kind of playing back and being a bit more tentative and just getting back in transition and like a team like texas who they played earlier in the year just I mean, just got out in transition constantly and worked them. And I mean, that was a, a one of the biggest blowouts that Gonzaga has suffered in a really long time. And part of that was Texas going nuclear from beyond the arc and hitting 13 threes. But we've seen Gonzaga sometimes be really aggressive at crashing the offensive glass and sometimes be a bit more tentative in trying to just prevent teams from getting out in transition. So I'm curious how they will attack UCLA here, whether they will attempt to kind of push for some more offensive rebounds, because I think UCLA is a team that you can beat on the boards. And I think for Gonzaga, 
getting more second chance points, not not letting UCLA get a lot of second chance points, cleaning up the defensive glass, even if they don't get out in transition as much as they'd like to, if they're really intentional about winning on the boards, I think that that's a, that's a statistic that I think will have a pretty significant outcome on this game. Yeah, UCLA was minus 11 in offensive rebounds against Northwestern. I'm not even sure if the Wildcats actually took clear advantage of their second chance opportunities, but they clearly got back in that game in the second round and gave the Bruins a run for their money. But the UCLA also had 22 fast break points, as I've already mentioned. So that could be the key because I believe we're both on the same page. This game, unless UCLA forces a lot of turnovers, will Mm -hmm. pretty much be won or lost on the boards and the rebounding, barring someone going nuclear, as you said, (laughs) shooting the basketball on either side. It'll be one on the principles of rebounding the basketball. The fundamentals, Mm -hmm. as much as we talk about high-scoring defense, got to rebound the basketball. And UCLA can lose that stat, but if it's not minus 15, then they can very well be in this game. Mm -hmm. Well, in the meantime, I know there's a lot of history in this matchup, right, Andy? We talk about the 2006. We talk about 2021. Even the off-forgotten, I believe, what, 2015 matchup, which I don't even mm-hmm. know if it was even fair. But <laughs> even then, th- there's been a lot of matchups. Mm-hmm. What do you love most reminiscing and hate reminiscing about <laughs> all those matchups? I know the Zags are technically 2-1 and one mm-hmm. in the last, say, 17 years against the Bruins. Yeah, I, it, I think it's fun that we're seeing this West Coast rivalry kind of develop. And it's, it's a tournament rivalry. They've, they have played each other in the non-conference before, but not, not in a while that I remember. I know they played, I, they had a, a In Vegas, home. like last year. Yeah, that, that's right. Yes, they did do that. But um, I would love to see them do more consistent home and homes. I think that would be extremely fun. Uh, I'd be curious if that's something that they can put together or not, especially, of course, with UCLA eventually uh, joining the Big Ten. I'm curious if that, how much that will impact their non-conference scheduling. Uh, but for, for me, like I, West Coast basketball doesn't get a lot of uh, positive press. Uh, they haven't won an NCAA tournament since 1997. So there is some level of, of a reason for that. Uh, but UCLA and Gonzaga are in Arizona to an extent. Those are the three programs that really stand out. Uh, and for good reason, uh, U- UCLA and Arizona just dominated the Pac-12. Nobody else in that conference was was particularly good this year. Uh, obviously, the WCC has Gonzaga and St. Mary's, and that is kind of it. The Mountain West has has had an issue producing in the NCAA tournament. Shout out San Diego State for actually doing it this year. But Gonzaga and UCLA are the pinnacle of West Coast college basketball. And anytime they match up, you can kind of highlight that. You can show, and they, and they play very different styles right now, which I think is very fun. Uh, UCLA has obviously had this a long, I mean, a longstanding reputation uh, for being one of the truest blue bloods in the in the tournament in the in the nation. And now we're seeing them be kind of this more defensive team. And, and Mick Cronin's bringing like kind of a, a Midwest East Coast style of basketball out to the West Coast. And I think that that's fun. But I think seeing these teams develop and grow and change. I mean, Gonzaga has obviously gone through monumental changes in the last 20 years from being a a plucky underdog to a national powerhouse that is disliked by everybody is a pretty wild stretch of, of, of um, reputation changing to happen in a, in a two decade period. And I think it's fun that these two teams kind of can still have this rivalry. Uh, We can still harken back to 2006 when it was a three seed versus two seed, but the, the teams were in such different states like they were not the state that they are in now and i think that that's kind of what makes this full circle feel fun of like yeah it's it's 17 years to the day it's a two seed versus three seed chance to go to the elite eight like it's a lot of the same stuff on paper but the vibes around the program are very different and and, and to me that just that kind of makes it fun that you have the same schools the same programs uh same matchups but but so much changing kind of just over time for me 
I'm pretty young. So mm-hmm. the tw- 2006 one was definitely one of the early memories yeah. of UCLA basketball for me. One of those where I was young enough that I had to get sent to bed before the game ended. <laughs> my mother woke me up. It's like, wait a minute. And I saw them come back, <laughs> watch the missed shot at the buzz. I was like, wait, what? That was one of my very early memories, wow. you know, being a UCLA basketball fan. And of course, I, I mentioned this in my pod the other day, but mm-hmm. a few years ago at the Sweet 16 Elite Eight in the regional, when Gonzaga was there at the Honda Center, I actually mm-hmm. ran into Adam Morrison, but I didn't oh, yeah. actually make fun of him. So I thought that was kind of funny. I was like, oh yeah, how you doing? He was broadcasting. So I yeah. thought that was pretty funny. I didn't do a Jordan Farmar. I gave him a crying picture of him <laughs> when he was with the Lakers. That, that was not in the cards. So, mm-hmm. it, you know, it, it's an interesting matchup. And as much as Gonzaga is two and one, this does feel somewhat of a rubber match, right? Okay. Where this is UCLA mm-hmm. Gonzaga in 06 was like to get to the final four or get in the path to the final four, I should say in mm-hmm. the final four, a couple years ago, you know, Gonzaga had the unbeaten season, get everything yeah. going their way until the final. And funny enough, both teams who won these games have lost mm-hmm. in the final, ironically yeah. enough, in 06 and in mm-hmm. 21. Although yeah. the winner of this one only gets an even tougher West <laughs> regional final matchup mm-hmm. in the Elite Eight. So it doesn't get any easier. That's mm-hmm. just a Sweet 16 game between two teams with 30 wins. I did my math over the last 10 NCAA tournaments that were non-COVID affected. This is only the sixth or seventh time, I think the seventh time, where both teams have had 30 wins in the Elite Eight. Wow. That is crazy. And this region, is just, I mean, Kansas obviously being out is, is insane, but UConn is a top 15 team in Ken Palm. St. Mary's is a top 15 team in Ken Palm before they got eliminated. Like Gonzaga and UCLA, one of these two teams is going to advance. Uh, a very, very good team is not going to advance. And then whoever does advance is going to play either UConn or Arkansas. And certainly Arkansas is an eight seed, I think may look on paper like, oh, that's the preferred matchup or that's, uh, you know, the, the worst team that's remaining. And I think statistically that's probably true but that is it's kind of diminishing to arkansas who's a very very good team was a preseason top 10 team and and to me this west region i mean whoever comes out of this game is going to play a really really tough game i'm curious uh looking ahead obviously the 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 focus for for ucla and for gonzaga is this upcoming game but if you had a preference on who you would want to face or how you think this region might shake out outside of this game you know it's just a very tough one. I, I think we, t- we talked about this on what the Locked On College Basketball mm-hmm. hit we had to do the other yeah. day. You know, Arkansas is just so tough, mm-hmm. so tough. And then UConn, despite that weird midseason lull, they are highly rated in the, in the analytic department. If yeah. you don't like analytics, you can just see they're a good team. Mm-hmm. They play scrappy and all that. So we'll see how that plays out. You know, I, I, I think it's time for some predictions, right? Well, what do yeah. we think is actually going to happen, Andy? What are your thoughts? I think... Gonzaga is going to need to shoot the three ball well and space the floor a little bit in order to give Drew Timmy some room to operate. They have been very inconsistent at that this season. There's just sometimes Julian Strother is on and he hits five or six threes in the game. Nolan Hickman hit five threes in the WCC championship game against St. Mary's, but he has a lot of disappearing acts as well. He also uh, got hit in the head pretty hard in their last game. So we're hoping that he is at hundred percent coming into this game as Gonzaga's starting point guard. But Give me the Zags by three. Give me the Zags by five or so. I think it's going to be a close game. I think Gonzaga's offense is enough uh, to get to 70 points. And, and I think 75 points maybe is what you need in this game because UCLA is going to score a lot of points uh, going downhill towards the basket. But I think the Zags are, are playing some really good basketball right now. Uh, I will be honest, I've been worried about UCLA's injuries throughout the tournament, and it has not impacted them yet. So maybe it's foolish to continue to think that it will, that they won't be able to play as well without Jalen Clark. Uh, but if, if Singleton's healthy, if Bailey's healthy, and if they're just missing Clark, I mean, this team has played really, really well without him. I think this is going to be a really close game, but like I said, give me the Zags by three or so. 
I'll go opposite. Of course, you might yeah, say it's true. a homer pick. Who knows? I, I'm thinking 73, 71. That might kind mm, of ring a bell. I Something like similar. It. You know, I'm thinking UCLA. They, they've been able to win games of the higher scoring variety as of late for a long time into even like the month of March or late February. They hadn't won a game when they'd given mm. up 70 points. Now mm. they've done it a couple of times in the Pac-12 tournament. I think they did it against Arizona in the regular season finale. They found ways to win while giving up 70 points. It's close. It's much mm-hmm. tougher. They don't like that, but I think they've learned how to do it. And this is going to key on Singleton needing to hit some huge threes. He has to hit three, four, five threes, open up the lane and force them to key on him. And then I think Tiger Campbell can't go over from the field. Yeah. He can go hit his 12 free throws, but he needs to hit some jump shots. And if mm-hmm. it's a clutch jump shot for the win or mm-hmm. something, they just need to open the paint. And even though Gonzaga is not the best defensive team, they mm-hmm. do have some size. They can crash mm-hmm. the boards. And UCLA needs to make that space for them to score in the paint. And if they can do that, force some turnovers. And even though they didn't force a lot against Northwestern, they made them pay in terms of points off turnovers. They did that to UNC Asheville. That has to be the same against Gonzaga. They've got to steal possessions away from the Zags. And if they can do all those things while not just getting absolutely murdered on the boards, I think UCLA can eat this one out in the Sweet 16 in Vegas. Although the Ve- Vegas hasn't been fond on the Bruins in le- recent times. They <laughs> lost to the Zags last year. They lost twice in November. It, you know, who knows what this Vegas regional will mean for UCLA. I think that's a perfect place to end it. FanDuel likes UCLA for the record two and a half as the points there. So for, for Zachary's pick, pick there, I think right on the lines there if anybody is interested in betting on the game. Uh, I'm Andy Patton. He, make sure I'm pointing the right way. He is Zachary <laughs> Anderson, Yoxheimer, host of Locked On UCLA. Uh, this has been a crossover episode. Very, very excited for the game on Thursday. Check out Locked On Zags and Locked On Bruins wherever you get your podcasts. Find them on YouTube. Hit that subscribe button. Leave a review on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter, all of that good stuff. we got plenty more content coming your way as we get closer to the Sweet 16. One of us going on to the Elite Eight, one of us starting the offseason content a little bit earlier than we hoped. Uh, thank you all for listening. I'll say go Zags. You go offer Bruins. What you want. There it is. Go, go Bruins. Bruins. <laughs>